Community Chat with Kelly and Yoshima. Welcome to Community Chat with Kelly and Yoshima. Today we have with us Ms. Shara Denton, and she is the HIV Prevention Program Manager for South Health District located here in Valdosta, Georgia. Good morning, Ms. Denton. Good morning, good morning. Thank you for having me. Good morning, Ms. Denton. Glad to good have morning. you today. Thank you. Well, Ms. Denton, can you tell us about the HIV prevention program and what does that consist of? Yes, so the prevention program is um, an opportunity for the community to connect with us, to participate in different initiatives that uh, focus on prevention methods for HIV, HIV awareness. We do a lot of outreach um, as far as condom distribution, um, HIV events, um, such as World AIDS Day, which is our annual uh, luncheon that we do to provide the community. We provide free condoms throughout the community. We provide free HIV testing. We collaborate with organization, organizations such as LAMP and Valdosta State University, Georgia Military College, um, and Sandra Tooley, people of that nature to provide free HIV testing and awareness and information. We also provide health education for the community. So a lot of times we're out there informing people about the importance of HIV, HIV prevention, debunking a lot of myths about HIV because although HIV is the hidden pandemic over the last 40 years, people do not understand that it's still an issue. It's a growing issue and that we're still trying to do what we can to prevent it, the spread of HIV and educate the community on preventive methods. You know, I was just thinking when you said that you, we don't hear much about HIV anymore, mm -hmm. but just it has not gone away. We still need to be as safe as we possibly can. And our mm -hmm. younger generations are so promiscuous right now that <laughs> need this information and this awareness. Um, is there anything that you guys do with the school system? Well, our, our program primarily doesn't do anything other than 18 and over um, because of the way we're funded, but we do have other programs that are able to get into the school system, not necessarily with HIV prevention, but um, our primary focus are um, individuals over the age of 18. Um, and with, with all the medications now that have, um, have been very influential in long-term care and health for HIV clients, we now are offering PrEP, which is a, um, it's, we call it the HIV prevention pill, like similar to like what you would call a birth control. So with PrEP, um, you have to be HIV negative. And if you take the PrEP medication every day, like you're supposed to, then your chances of passing on HIV or collecting, I'm sorry, contacting HIV um, decreases. And so that you, you can be labeled what we call um, undetectable. So HIV awareness and medications and um, preventive methods have really grown over the last 40 years. 
um, with our program in particular, we can enroll you in PrEP services and get you the PrEP medication at little to no cost, um, just depending on certain criteria. So um, a lot of what we're trying to do is spread awareness and remind people that HIV is still growing. Um, you had mentioned about the younger people. And what I will say with that is, it's not always necessary that they're promiscuous. But what I see a trend is, is that there's a lack of education with health, um, health, sexual health, preventive methods, um, particularly here in the South. Um, mm -hmm. There's not a whole lot of education or comfort from the older generation to provide that education for the younger people. So a lot of the younger people are, um, you know, you know how it was being young, fearless. We have no fear of things, but it's still something that needs to be addressed, having those difficult conversations with young people and answering their questions. Because a lot of times the younger people, they have questions, but they don't always feel like they're in a safe space to ask those questions. And so a lot of times they do make decisions based on what they've heard or what their peers have told them that may not necessarily be true. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, and I think one of the, one of the things is that um, when you talk about HIV, people, just immediately think about a death sentence, uh -huh. like it's all over or there's nothing um, more to give once this is contracted. So what are your thoughts on that as far as the livelihood? If someone does get care, how mm -hmm. can it help debunk that myth that is totally over? Well, the thing about HIV now versus maybe 10, 20 years ago is that people with individuals with HIV can live a very long, healthy life. A lot of times they're more healthy than the average person because if they're taking their medications like they're supposed to, coming to their appointments, um, being safe in their sexual practices, then the chances of them passing on HIV are slim to none um, because they are being preventive and being you know, proactive in their health. Um, so a lot of misconceptions is that once you have HIV, you know, back 20 years ago, it was looked at as a death sentence because there wasn't a lot of medications that could help clients withstand a long-term care plan. But now, and I'm speaking from a non-clinical side, um, that now you have it to where someone, as long as they're doing what they're supposed to do with their health and their medications, they can be healthier than me or you. Um, some clients, um, let's say we'll have a client that has cancer and if they pass away, a lot of times it's not the HIV that's killed them, it's the, the cancer. Okay. Mm -hmm. So it's just a matter of getting people to understand that, you know, HIV is still around, but it's not the death sentence it was once labeled 20, 30, 40 years ago. There's medications, there's, um, there's a lot of um, very well-versed um, medical professionals that are able to guide clients through that process and support them through that care and get it into care long-term. And like you said, you were saying being undetectable. So mm -hmm. if they follow and like they're supposed to, then their HIV no longer shows up in their blood test. Is that correct? Right. It just shows up as undetectable because, um, but the misconception also is that if you're undetectable, you can't pass on other, uh, other STDs or STIs. And that's not always true either. So we still encourage people to still use condoms, still use preventive methods. Um, especially if you are living a lifestyle where you are just, you know, having fun, <laughs> like just out there, you know, whatever. Um, I see a lot of people now have this careless sense of um, monogamy now or um, 
sustainable relationships. So if you're going to do that, you have to be very knowledgeable about your care and your status and the fact that you can get other STDs, STIs. So I still, when we do our events, we still encourage people to use condoms and be preventive, even if you are undetectable. How can someone know their status? If someone is uh, in a committed relationship and they uh, decide that they want to know each other's status, mm -hmm. how does one go about doing that? Well, you can always um, visit our health department. We have walk-in HIV testing. It's free and confidential. Um, we do ask you to set up an appointment because we have a prep navigator that works in, in that area that can do your HIV testing for you. And we have had couples come in together and do it together to get their results. So um, our health department is located downtown right off the near um, the overpass. And you can come in and see Miss Eltonia and she can get your HIV test for you um, and walk you through the prep process if you're interested in um, getting on prep. But what about someone? I'm sorry, go ahead. What about for some um, who don't like needles? So we get that a lot. Um, <laughs> but the thing about the needles is that it's like a finger prick and we do it in a way you don't even feel it. It's so quick. You get your test results within a minute. Um, so what we do, we just walk you through that process if you don't like needles. But you really, it happens so quick, you don't even feel it. It's not something that we're just drawing blood and just having a needle stuck in your skin. It's a quick needle prick and we do the test right then and there. Um, of course, if we do get a positive result, then that's a whole different scenario because then you'd have to get a conformatory test from the nurse, which that, they will draw blood for that. But initially with us on our end, we just do the finger prick and get you your results within a minute. So it, we, we've had a lot of people that say, you know, they're scared of the needle. And then once we walk them through it and do it with them, then they're fine. Cause they're like, oh, I didn't even feel it. Cause sometimes a lot of times they don't even realize that you've done it while you're talking to them. Mm -hmm. <laughs> That's good to know. Yes. So how can someone find out more information about getting connected? Um, we have a page on the South Health District website, um, South Health District. Let me pull it up right now so I don't use the wrong address. Um, but South Health District and its other programs. And then if you look at HIV prevention, it has everything you need to know about the prevention um, program. We also just started, due to COVID, a mail-in condom order um, initiative where you can order condoms for free um, and we will mail them out to you confidentially also. So we have a lot of resources that we love to provide the community. Uh, we just started the um, condom program mid last year and we've seen an increase in people requesting condoms and again it's free confidential we have the free hiv testing where you can go to the health department and get an hiv test um, and now we're starting prep so you'll see a lot of promotional um, promotions on social media about prep and how to get involved with that to prevent hiv so we have a lot of resources and more to come as far as hiv awareness and prevention and what's that web address again it's southhealthdistrict.com. Southhealthdistrict.com. Yes. And are you also on Facebook? Yes, we do have a new social media page. We're really excited about that. Um, we are on Instagram and Facebook. Um, let's see. Um, 
it's been shortened, so it's not the full name, <laughs> but it is um, HIV Prevention SHD, which stands for South Health District. That's on Instagram. And we also have the same page on Facebook. And so we'll, you know, when we do events or, you know, awareness days or different things of that nature that will be on our social media. And then we also, and I apologize, I forgot to include, we are also, due to the pandemic, we have been encouraged from the state of Georgia to promote um, at-home testing. So if you do not want to come in the clinic, you have the option of ordering a free HIV test kit to come to your home and doing your own test on yourself. And this one is a swab test. It's not a, a needle prick. So if you don't feel comfortable coming in, you can order this online for free through um, the CAPIS website, CAPIS.edu. I'm sorry, not edu. CAPUS, C-A-P-U-S, and you can order a free at-home HIV testing kit. That's all confidential. And that's CAPUS.com? Um, let me double check and make sure. You know they change it when it's... <laughs> um, mm -hmm. G-A-CAPUS, I'm sorry, dot com. G-A-C-A-P-U-S.com. And... Um, it should be under the community and it'll um, walk you through the steps of ordering your um, ordering your at-home HIV testing kit. So you don't have to come into the, the clinic if you do not want, not the clinic, the health department, but you can't order it for free online. And what was that web address one more time? GA, Georgia, mm -hmm. Capus, C-A-P-U-S dot com. And what if someone has some questions that they want to talk to a live individual? Is there a number that they can call? Yes, um, you can call us directly at 229-245-2301. And we can answer any questions that you have about HIV prevention or PrEP or our condom program. And for the, the, and for the condom program, you do have to be 14 years old and up. Okay, okay. This is some awesome information. Thank you. It, it really is. I do have a question. So going back to like when the individual does take the test and say that the individual does test positive, what kind of um, support or immediate support is available with the individual processing, you know, having a positive HIV test? Are you talking about as far as the at-home test? Or no, if they're coming, like if they come into the clinic mm -hmm. and they're um, testing positive, what mm -hmm. like immediate support systems come into play? Well, they wouldn't come into the clinic. Ideally, they would go to the health department. And then once we have a positive, then they will be connected to our linkage coordinator who links them into care. Okay. And then she'll, she'll go through the process with them. And what, what will happen was we'll, be, we'll do the initial test again, just to double check. And then we'll do what's called a conformatory test, which is done by the nurse. So the nurse will draw blood and make sure that the test is indeed positive or negative. Um, there are very few uh, times where we will get a false positive or um, a, a positive and it's really a negative. So that's why we do the, the two tests after that, just to ensure that it's indeed, in fact, a positive. And then once they go through that process, the linkage coordinator We'll link them to care and services and with a case um, case um, manager 
so that they can get on their meds and their regimen and have their um, appointments scheduled. And we walk them through the process, we educate them, we show them support um, because there's times where you know they have a lot of questions. Um, sometimes mm-hmm. we deal with a lot of denial, yeah. um, a lot of frustrations, fear. Of course, you know that's a devastating to find out that you're positive, of course, I'm sure, but we do support them in that process by giving them a safe haven to talk to us and ask any questions that they, they wanna ask us. Um, it's a judgment-free zone. So we don't judge people that come to our clinic. We're here to really be their safe haven, um, which is why we don't promote our, where our clinic is located because just out of respect for their privacy and to support them and to have that comfort so that they know that they have a place that they can come and talk to someone about their status and the fears that they may have. You have some clients that their family members and loved ones don't even know their status because of that fear. So we wanna serve as that support for them to get them through accepting their status and how to, to live in healthy lives and long-term care. That is so great to have this resource in our community because it's so needed. It's something that is not talked about as much because of the stereotype and the, mm-hmm. the sense of taboo about it. But I think the education piece and the prevention and then also the care pieces is so critical for mm-hmm. individuals who are looking for answers and who are trying to get that better understanding about HIV. Right. And that and that's our, our main goal is to try to, to catch people before it even gets that far. But of course, you're going to have people that slip through the cracks. But we want to provide prevention and outreach and you know people ask us because people ask me all the time well what kind of questions do people ask you and they are just as (laughs) as crazy as you can think sometimes or just sometimes just out of fear because there is such a big um, misconception about HIV a lot of times people think oh if I hug you or if I touch Mm -hmm. your hand if I kiss you I'm gonna get no HIV is transmitted through needles and sexual um, experiences so we just try to make people understand that no, you can still catch HIV. You have to wear condoms. You have to put pro- condoms on properly. That's another misconception. Um, mm-hmm. A lot of people don't understand when you use condoms, you still have to use lubricant and you have to make sure that you're using the one that really fits you. Um, <laughs> we have a lot of people that, you know, marketing, marketing wise that want to always go to the magnums, which are known for being larger condoms. And so right. we're constantly explaining to people, no, those are actually for uncircumcised men. So you don't necessarily <laughs> need a condom if you're, you know, if you're circumcised. And so just debunking a lot of those misconceptions about preventive care and HIV can still be a challenge because you have so many people that are scared to talk about it. But that's what our role is, is to talk about it as transparently and safely as possible and still respect the integrity of the per- people that we're serving. This is awesome. And how, if, if an organization or agency wanted to set up a um, condom event or a testing event, how would they go about that? How would they get in touch with you? Well, they can contact me directly at 229-245-8711, extension 208. Um, again, I'm the pre- prevention program manager. And so, um, they could also email me at Shara, S-H-A-R-A-H dot Denton, D as in dog, E-N as in Nancy, T-O-N at D-P-H dot G-A dot gov.
Okay, let's make sure I wrote that down. That is shara.denton <laughs> at dph.ga.gov. Yes. Okay, and at 245-8711, extension 208. Yes, ma'am. Fantastic. I'm glad to know that we have this resource here. And I hope that once people hear um, of the support that you all are providing, the confidentiality, um, mm -hmm. how simple that process is, that more people will get tested. Because um, there are a lot of people that are still walking around that haven't gotten mm -hmm. tested, afraid to get tested. So mm -hmm. um, I'm just glad to have this here. And I know the confidentiality portion of it is the biggest, I think, for most people because mm -hmm. they definitely don't know, you know. And one one thing that we I my one of my goals um, in this role is to really connect us back to the churches too, because one thing that I have found and we have as the department has found, um, the churches are really a great avenue to reach people to give them these resources um, and. The challenges that we have, a lot of times churches don't mind us doing HIV testing, but they do kind of shy away from us providing condoms. And, you know, I had to, sometimes I'll tell people like, okay, but, you know, sometimes those are those main people that are coming to our events that want to be tested. So um, our goal is to reconnect back with the churches to provide this educational component, if nothing else, so that they understand that we really are here to serve and support their congregation, people in their congregation, especially their young people and be realistic about what's happening because um, people are having sex and a lot of them are not using protection or doing preventive things to prevent um, HIV and other things. So we are hoping that these resources that we're providing provides that, that, that support, um, not only to churches, of course, but um, to the local clubs here, um, teen centers, things of that nature. Because like I said, we see a lot of people that, um, want to have the resources but they're so worried about being judged and not being supported and we want to provide that support for them yes i can definitely see that where people are afraid of what others may say but mm -hmm. you have to think about the well-being of the decisions that they make for themselves and right. that they would have to suffer um the outcomes whether good or bad about decisions mm -hmm. that And, and the other thing too is that, and I was just talking to someone else about this recently, we have to be realistic in our community about what's going on with our younger people pr primarily. And we have to have those difficult conversations. Um, I'm a mom, so it's hard to talk about those types of things with my children, but it's necessary because what I found is when we're at events, a lot of times teenagers and kids will come to us and they have all this misconception about safe sex. And it would surprise you the misinformation and these kids sometimes are sexually active um and i've been to events before when a, a, a parent has said oh my kid i don't have to worry about that with my kid and that kid will turn around and ask me for condoms so it's like you have to have that realistic conversation with them to prevent the spread of hiv and, and other things not just hiv but just providing that support for them because a lot of those a lot of those younger people don't feel comfortable going to an adult asking questions um, and a lot of times that's all they want to know is, am I doing this right? Is this the right thing to do? Because, you know, they have more access to things now than we did at, at their age. 
And so I always encourage adults and parents to talk, have those hard conversations with your, with your children, because if not, they're going to figure it out and they're going to come to us and ask us questions or go to their friends. And sometimes their friends, their peers don't have the correct information. So it always breaks my heart when I see a young person that is, you know, positive or um, not really doing what they can to be preventive in preventing HIV or other STDs. Um, so I think that's another hard conversation we have to have as adults in the community is uh, being realistic. You know, some of these kids are having sex and they're not being protected and they're not being honest about what they're doing because they don't feel supported or safe to express that. And I think, hello. I agree. I'm still here. I think Kelly may be having some issues, but. Oh, okay. <laughs> We're a reception, but um, I'm when just I glad. would really prefer for you to prefer for you to abstain, you know, um, be abstinent. But of course, you going back to they may be doing it anyway. But it's, mm -hmm. I think it's like, how do you have that conversation? As far as this is not me supporting your actions, mm -hmm. but I want you to be careful if this is something that you are deciding to do. And, and, and exactly, I think, and I'm coming from a parent side because I have a teenager and we talk about things sometimes too much, but <laughs> the thing about it is I will say I'm blessed enough to where my son will ask me questions about things and he'll talk to me about things, especially if he hear, hear, hears his friends saying things. So, you know, he'll be like, well, mom, what does this mean? And what is, what's right. that? You know, he'll ask me and I'm not going to lie. Like, I, I'll get a little uncomfortable with it, but I'm like thinking, do I want to be honest with him? And I tell him, you know, my expectations. I was like, you know, of course, I don't want you doing this until you're mm -hmm. married and mature enough to deal with it. And also talking to him that it's not just the act itself. It's also an emotional component that you might not be ready for. Yeah. So talking him through that, you know, we have a very open dialogue about it um, to the point even other people are like, well, dang, your son tells you a lot. It's not that he tells me everything. I'm not going to be naive and think he does. But I want him to feel if there's something going on, if, if he gets scared about something, if he's concerned about something, I want him to feel like, you know what, I can ask my mom if I can't ask anybody else. And so um, I think sometimes there's a misconception that if I tell my children about condoms and preventive care, that I'm encouraging them to have sex. And that's not at all what it is. It's just a fact if you want them to be educated, because in case they do do it, we've all been young before. Um, mm -hmm. and, and the thing is, is that sometimes curiosity will take over common sense. So right. I, I think you have to just be realistic as, as far as giving your children the opportunity to voice their questions and maybe things that they're, you know, they're, they're hearing because they're going to hear it from their friends. I'm telling you, some of these kids talk about like they're full-blown adults to experience in certain, certain areas. It's unreal sometimes, but, and they might not necessarily be telling the truth, but I think, you know, there's still a way for you to be open and honest with your child or your young adult without promoting it. Because one thing I've told my children, this is what I would expect you to do. But in reality, if you chose, if you choose not to do that, because everything's about decisions, mm -hmm. if you choose not to go that route, this is the outcome of what could happen. And so I give them both sides of it, not just what I want them to do. And that's not right. an easy conversation to have with your child. Um, especially when they're, you know, in the hormonal stage and growing up and maturing and becoming their own person. That's not an easy conversation, but it is a necessary one. Um, and it doesn't mean that I'm promoting what, you know, promoting that, but I'm telling my son, if you don't, if you do have sex, 
this is what you need to do to protect pregnancy, HIV, STDs. I've even shown him pictures of what certain STDs look like. Right. And so just being realistic. And I think sometimes we have to, I mean, I'm just being honest, working in this field the last few years, I've just, I've just seen so many parents be in denial about what their kids are doing. And I'm thinking, you know, we've, we've been their age before. Um, not saying that we were doing anything, but we understand about hormones and questions and curiosity. So I think we have to just approach it in a way of, I'm not promoting you doing this, but I want to be realistic because abstaining from sex is not always going to be realistic for everybody. Do you know if sex education is still being taught in the school systems? Um, my son, <laughs> I'm not sure how in-depth it is. I'll say that. Um, okay. I think whatever health education my son received in uh, school, it actually stirred up more questions and confusion for him, which is kind of what made me have to talk with him. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so, I, I, I know when I was in school, it was a little um, watered down too, but um, that's one thing that I like about our, our outreach is when we're at events, we're able to debunk a lot of that, but at the same time, we're not allowed in the schools like that. So there's a lot of students that we're missing also. And so that's why I say I think it's really important for, for parents to understand that we are very influential on our kids more than we think we are, but we have to be realistic about what they're going through and letting them talk to us, even when we don't want to hear it. Because it's very hard. Some of the questions my son asks me sometimes, it's, it's hard to listen to that sometimes, but he's 16. So I'm like, okay, well, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> put myself in, a, in the mind of a 16 year old. And, okay. So, um, and understand that, um, of course, you know, I don't want you to do that, but I know you're going to be curious. And so I don't always give him just my view on it. I also say, well, these are the consequences of those choices if you decide to do that. And right. so when I get, when I give him the consequences and both sides of it, I, it feels like he's more receptive and more open to talk to me about things that he might have questions about. And this is what every child needs, you know, that mm -hmm. opportunity in my, um, age group because I know I'm a little bit older than you guys <laughs> when we went to school it was in depth mm -hmm. you know um groups you know um that you participated in that went more in depth about these types of things and then all of a sudden it became where we don't need to talk about it but tv commercials mm -hmm. all of those things our kids and you still have those parents that don't know how to communicate these things to their children, just like you're saying. So I feel like that should be a part of education. Right, because, right. You know, at the end of the day, it is real. Like you said, um, it's a real thing and they need to know. And, you know, I'm, you're sitting or working at a school and you have an eighth grader who's pregnant or if I already had a baby. Mm -hmm. And you Mm -hmm. And we run across kids that don't even know about their bodies or understand their bodies. Mm -hmm. So I think it's really good that if they could get it at a younger age, you know, um, because they're learning from television, um, right. songs, and all of those things. And that's not the real life of it, you know? Well, that's right. it. it, it, it. <laughs> exactly because I'll, I'll just use an example with my daughter my da daughter just turned 12 but when my daughter was about eight or nine um she came home because she had a classmate that had two mommies and it confused her because she was like I come home to a mom and a dad 
And so she was like, this classmate called them both their, you know, his mommies. And so I had to talk to my daughter about that. And, and like I said, despite what you believe or what, it wasn't even about that. It's just, I had to clarify with her because it, she didn't understand. And I was like, you know, it's okay not to understand. And so I explained to her that there's different types of love and that I had to, you know, cause she kept asking like, well, how do they have babies? And how does he have two mommies? You know, things like that. And she was like maybe a third or fourth grade, but I had to be realistic about the fact that she's young. And I, of course I tailored it to her age. I didn't you know, go right. like as if she's my son's age, but mm-hmm. I think when we force our beliefs or our fear on our kids, it also creates that stigma for them not to be so open to talk to us. My son will tell you in a minute, certain certain adults in his life, he will not, he won't have those open conversations with because of that. He feels like maybe they're judgmental or critical. So there's certain things he just will not ask. But then when it comes to me, he's like, well, mom, you might be uncomfortable, but I have this question. And so he'll ask me these things. And I think if we take ourselves out the equation and just support our children or our young adults with that, we will find that we are able to really prevent a lot of stuff that they are going through. But if they don't feel safe or comfortable, they're not going to come to us. So we have to be realistic. Because my, my sex education class was kind of watered down when I look, think about it now. Um, and we didn't have YouTube and social media and TikTok and all that at the time. So my daughter, she'll see things on TikTok or social media, uh, not social media, but she'll see stuff from her friends. They'll, they'll send her videos and stuff. Or she'll watch certain shows that have a lot of sexual content in it that if you don't understand what they're doing, you might miss it. But adults, I'm like, wait a minute, this doesn't seem like this is appropriate for your age. Mm-hmm. Um, versus back in the day, you didn't see cussing on TV. You didn't see anyone. I mean, I remember watching I Love Lucy and the husband and wife were even in the same bed. Mm-hmm. And now you, you see full-blown sexual acts on TV. So, I mean, we have to be realistic about the culture around our kids, too, because they're seeing it in other places, even if it's not at home. Mm-hmm. So true. Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, I got, I got a huge shock when we first moved to Valdosta. She came home that day and said, Mom, what's an orgasm? No. And I like it. We were in the fifth grade when she moved here. So, <laughs> um, what kind of conversation we're having at elementary right. school? Right. Oh. And, and my daughter has come home asking me some of those same types of questions, with oblivious to what she was asking me. <laughs> but I will say, I was very fortunate with the mother that I had. I grew up in a single parent home, and my mother was, and I guess this was a good thing looking back, but she was so paranoid that me and my sisters would come home pregnant as teenagers. I don't know, that was just in her head. And I'll remember at a very young age, her giving us the talk about good touch, bad touch, um, emotional health. Like, and we were able to ask her those kind of questions. Now, she didn't always, she wasn't always prepared for those questions, but because of her fear of, I don't want my children coming home, you know, pregnant at an early age or whatever the case may be, she allowed us that safe haven to talk to her about things, even when she wasn't comfortable with it, which is probably where I get that same mindset with my children. Um, sometimes my nieces and nephews will ask me questions that they might not feel comfortable asking their parents. Um, but they know that Auntie Shara is going to answer them because of where she works at and because I'm pretty transparent and direct. So um, mm-hmm. they don't mind asking me questions. And that doesn't, and I think what sometimes too, we have to remember just because they're asking questions doesn't mean that they're doing it. It's sometimes they're just curious. They just want to know. 
So can parents call um, that same contact number to get, you know, maybe information or how yes. to have these conversations with their children? Yes, one thing that we do provide is um, health education. So we are very open to talking to parents um, with their teenagers or young adults and to answer those questions. And then I've even had people ask me if I could talk to their children on, on their behalf. Um, that's not something that we're against doing because it's not easy to have those conversations. Um, but the problem is that a lot of parents don't want to have those conversations. So, um, but if that's something that, you know, they want, you know, they can always contact me directly and I don't mind talking to them. Last, last summer, we partnered with Percy Chastain's Adolescent Health Department and we did a virtual um, real red table talk similar to the Jada Pinkett show. And we were able to provide health education and answer questions from parents. And their kids were you know, able to participate in that, that event as well if they chose to, um, to get realistic information. And we answered questions on their behalf versus the parents answering questions. But the parents did have some questions as well too. Oh, that's real good. That's real good. So hopefully next time um, they have this, it'll be a continual, you know, a continual thing so that other people can get involved and hear about this information. Well, yeah, we're, actually, we're actually working along with the Baby Love Program with Tiffany Crowell, who's the program manager. And we're doing a, a virtual event again in November um, called the Real Red Table Talk 2, where we're talking about prenatal care and HIV. Um, because there's a, lot of there's a lot of stigma with prenatal care and HIV as far as the medications are so advanced now that you can have HIV and you can still have a child or a partner that's negative. And so we're providing mm -hmm. that educational component too, because people feel, oh, if I have HIV, I can pass it on to my children. Well, if you're not taking care of yourself and not taking medications, you run the risk of doing that, of course. But the thing I love about their program and even ours together is that we're able to provide that health education component and resources so that a child can be born into the world healthy and free of HIV. That's great. That's great information to know. So keep, please keep us posted. We would love to share that information to get people involved and to learn more about HIV. Thank you, I will do it. And thank you all for the opportunity. I think this is really a great platform to share resources and information. And I'm hoping that um, more people will see what we're doing in the community and support what we're doing. Yes, thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Community Chat with Kelly and Yoshima.